Hello and welcome everybody to today's podcast discussing the topic of female leadership within the NHS. Um, This is one of my first podcasts around this topic so really excited to hear your thoughts. Um, It's a topic that that definitely really interests me. Um, So we'll just kind of kick things off I think with some introductions. Um, So Shirley you're first on my screen so if you could just you know introduce yourself a little bit about your background that would be great. Of course. Uh, My name's Shirley Haywood. I work for Calderdale and Huddersfield Foundation Trust. Um, I actually work in a division called the HIS, which is the Health Informatics Service. Um, So we're the technology arm of CHFT. Um, I've been here for just 18 months. Um, Prior to that, I've got a background of operational change and transformation in digital um, that's in private healthcare and other sectors as well. Thank you, Shirley. Um, Amy, round to you next. Hi, I guess so. Uh, I'm Amy Page. I'm the Deputy Operations Director for Acute and Emergency Medicine at Sheffield Teaching Hospital. So I look after an emergency department, a minor injuries unit and uh, acute medical units in our same day emergency care service. Uh, I've been in Sheffield for about eight years and prior to that I was down working in the south uh, at Harefield Hospital actually started life as a medical secretary and studied part-time so I kind of worked my way up uh, through through the NHS um, but actually started out in the NHS when I was just 20 um, and have uh, worked in areas including sort of respiratory medicine, mental health um, so I've had a nice variety of areas but absolutely love emergency medicine. Perfect thank you Amy and then Sarah last but not least round to you. Um, hi, I'm Sarah Grant. I'm an um, information and support and health and wellbeing manager at Harrogate Rural District NHS Trust. Um, my background is as a nurse. I've always worked in oncology nursing. Um, I've been within this trust for 10 years um, since this service opened at the Sir Robert Ogden Macmillan Centre in 2014 and prior to that in the palliative care team um, at Harrogate. Previously to coming to Harrogate, I worked at a large teaching hospital in Coventry, um, again within the acute palliative care team and um, various oncology services there. Perfect. Thank you very much, Sarah. All right, well, we'll just kick straight off with the questions, I think. So um, we're going to start with kind of like a more general leadership question and then we'll kind of like move into the the female leadership ones. Um, So question number one is, many of our workforce are struggling with the personal consequences of COVID. How do we lead and support our teams to meet the increasing post-pandemic demands impacting healthcare services whilst ensuring we also address the changing health needs of our workforce? So, Amy, I'm going to come round to you first for your thoughts on this one. Yeah, and this is, I think if we had the answer to this, then we'd all, we'd all be straight in there sort of implementing it. It's really challenging. I think the, the kinds of things we've seen particularly, I would say, is family members being very anxious about uh, their the member of staff working in our environments because they they maybe can't see the the things we put in place to keep people safe and so maybe uh, in their own mind uh, things are maybe more scary uh, for them and and those individuals are often having to take time off almost to care for those people because of the anxiety that they're experiencing that's that's associated with that that person doing that job role um and I, I think that's that's really difficult. I think the, the key thing for us is is trying to be as flexible as we can around those people, uh, still trying to run a service and encourage them to remain at, at work as much as they can. But um, doing that in, in a really kind of empathetic and understanding way and, and trying as much as you can to allow them to, you know, whatever hours or hospital appointments that, that they need to, to do that 
that they can manage that and, and get that balance. But it's really tricky. I think even as a management team, we we struggled with uh, the uh, the burden of of running things like bronze command and the intensity of working. And I think probably taking the time to reflect now that maybe things have not gone away, but are in a more of a stable state is really important to work out what we need to do differently to prepare for if those situations were to arise again and to deal with the current um, level of demand. Uh, you know, and I think just having really strong relationships, you know, meaningful relationships with your colleagues and, and with your team, we we spend a lot of time together outside of work. Uh, and I think that's really important to be able to let off steam together, because sometimes as much as family members and friends are supportive, I don't think they necessarily understand and you don't always want to explain what it's like. You don't want to have to to spell it out for everybody what your day might have been like and you don't want to necessarily make make them um feel sad for you so I think being able to be with people you can just share share that and know that they they know what it's like and be together is is really helpful. Thank you Amy. Um, Sarah we'll move around to you next on this one. Um, yeah I absolutely agree with um, what Amy's just said really I mean I, th I think we have to be sort of realistic and accept the um, personal consequences that have um, affected a large percentage of our workforce you know they they've also had Covid themselves um, you know they've they've suffered personal bereavement and loss um, they've often seen families changes in status at home as a consequence with furlough and you know redundancy etc and all this does impact in the workplace um, and obviously those that have had COVID and have come back but have subsequently got long COVID symptoms and how we manage and support those those uh, members of staff with back in the workforce when maybe they can't um performed the to the level that they were performing before um they can undertake the work but need more regular breaks etc and it's that change and flexibility and sort of accepting that this is a reality to to the workforce coming going forward and how how we integrate that into day-to-day -to -day working um and obviously, you know, as, as female leaders, that that impact of childcare does tend to still fall down on the, you know, we are equal opportunities and 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 all of that. But a large proportion of the workforce of the NHS are women, and the the, the problem of a child gets COVID and has to take time off work, they have to then provide the childcare, etc. And that has a huge knock on. Um, you know, if hybrid working is available, that's great. But for clinical you know professionals that throws a whole different um you know dynamic into the mix really and um yeah it's it's how do we sort of move that flexibility through to address that and maintain the workforce and not prevent them from you know and prevent them from leaving um because they they, they can't with carry on with the changes that have impacted them personally through the last two years Thank you, Sarah. And then Shirley, round to you. Yeah, I think I think what you said is is super, um, and it's it's quite different to my experience because I'm not in a clinical role. So the the impacts we've seen around COVID, and I joined during COVID, so I don't have experience of the NHS before that, um, is much more probably about hybrid working and how people manage remotely because that's the environment that I've I've come into now. Um, I think. It probably has made the kind of administrative or the technology teams much more aware of the well-being of their teams and it's definitely at the front and centre of all the conversations we have with the project management office or with the tech teams 
um, you know, how are you doing? And we, I think we make a lot more effort to reach out than we ever probably did before. Um, I'm talking about other roles, but, um, and at our trust, has one of its core values as compassionate care and that's very much something that you can feel in the working of the trust so I think we do treat people more as individuals and we are more attuned to them maybe having issues with either coming back into work or having extra dependents who they need to care for than than maybe was talked about before so that's only got to be a good thing because if we can acknowledge that each of us is individuals bringing our skills and our whole bag of tricks into the party, um, then we can we can work together more effectively if we appreciate who it is that we're working with. Um, we, we haven't done as well as you in terms of doing the social stuff and blowing off steam because I think there is still a lot of nervousness about getting together because those teams who haven't had to come in to perform their jobs we're still getting them back in slowly and we're doing um, monthly get back together days for the whole teams to come in um, to build that back up. So we're still going through that process. Thank you, Shirley. Has anybody kind of got any other points that they'd like to add to that? No. Fab. All right, well, we'll move on to the second question. I think the second question follows on quite nicely from some of the points that you were talking about. So it touches upon a bit of hybrid working. Um, so question number two was, as leaders working in a, high, in a hybrid um, environment, how do you energise yourselves? So, um, Sarah, I'll come round to you first. I know obviously maybe the hybrid working might not be so um, so frequent for yourself, but like, what, what are your kind of views on, on the question? Yeah, I probably will come from a different perspective on this one, potentially. Um, I guess um, it's all about finding, you know, what we need as individuals to operate um, to our best. So, you know, some might need regular contact if they're working from home with other members of the team and, um, ha you know, others may, may, you know, absolutely thrive on that more isolated approach to working and enjoy the peace and quiet and the removal from the office, etc. Um, but I guess a big part of it is the communication within the team is to find out what suits each member of that of that team and how best that can be facilitated to support each one to get the best out of them, um, you know, to achieve their their potential really within a within a hybrid setting. Um, however, <laughs> from a, a clinical point of view and as leaders and, um, you know, uh, a person in a position where you know as a leader you do have more choice sometimes and more empowerment at being able to take that day and work from home I think it's really important to flip it and look at that impact on the rest of the workforce that are still on the cold face doing the work day to day and um, you know haven't got that opportunity um, and it can can have a really negative impact on the wider team um, not just by the fact that that person's that not not there and they're working from home and how lovely does that appear as a an idea but um from the fact that you know somebody's not accessible in a in a moment of real need and calamity um and or, yes they're, they're available on a on a phone or via email but you know ward staff don't have access to to email contact etc they can't do a team's call etc they, they need that ability to be able to um get in touch with those people face to face um so i think that's a really important thing to look at just because we can doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing and we should but for those services where 
it absolutely fits their model of work. Um, I think it's really important that that choice has been able to be given and that people have been supported in being able to do that. Um, but yeah, the isolation side of things is 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 a worry, um, especially with that integrating back in. I have seen um, colleagues who have, have, have got raised levels of anxiety because they've spent so much time working from home and now coming back into not even a clinical area, but just a, an admin area of, of the organisation. They're finding it really quite a difficult step to take. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Shirley, we'll move around to you kind of next on this one. Yeah, um, I remember when I went for my first visit to the site during COVID time and I was shown the room where the IT help desk staff sat and it was well spaced out, one person, four desks, but there were a lot of people in one room and um, my boss at the time showed me around and said, it's OK, it's OK, don't worry, don't worry. As I kind of backed up to the door, it was, it was um, yeah, it, it, that first time back, I remember it and, and you do because you spent so much time on your own. Um, I think the language that you've used, Sarah, is really interesting. And, and in fact, Amy, as well, you were talking about encouraging and being flexible. And that's very much how I think we as, as women leaders tend to try and approach things. So, yes, if it fits the model of the work, absolutely. It can be really beneficial to have the hybrid model. But as somebody who doesn't have a desk in a hospital setting, because there aren't any, um, and even the administrative centre that we work from isn't large enough to accommodate everybody. So um, the homeworking has to happen for me. And I can I can find it a bit draining trying to find that energy in myself. So when I go on site where I've been today, um, I find it hugely energising um, to, to see the changes that we're making in place, to perhaps have a conversation with a patient, to see the staff on the front line. So that for me is a really positive experience. And I just wondered really if, if other people found seeing that change come through was a, was a way to spur them on to do more. Um, yeah, so I, I really enjoy my time in the hospital, but I don't get as much of it as I would like. Thank you, Shirley. And then Amy will come around to you. Yeah, this is a really fascinating topic. And I actually, I have to confess, in my naivety, I actually had to Google hybrid working because I'd never really thought of what I do in a very formalised way and model. And I, because when I go home, I just isolate from everything a lot. I'd never really read up much about kind of what other people talk about the way we work. Um, I did very limited homeworking during most of COVID because I think we, we feel quite strongly that operational management, particularly in an acute and emergency setting, it's about managing by walking around. It's about being there when people need you. You know, maybe that is, is emotional support maybe it's actually practical support because I'm quite good at fixing a printer um, and to me it doesn't really matter what I'm doing as long as I'm there helping um, but at the same time a bit a bit like what Shirley said around childcare you know there were days when I physically couldn't get to work because I had just come back from maternity leave to my job and then Covid happened and suddenly I've got a, a one-year-old at home and uh, it was really important to me to be able to tune into what was happening at work because I, I was worried about my team I was worried about what was happening and as much as people might tell you that it's important to to take time off and and not be drawn into work when you're at home actually sometimes it's more beneficial I think just to to be aware of what's going on and, and know you're up to date and rather than having to play catch up the next day so things like teams were enormously helpful for that accessibility as, as someone having to go essentially part-time during the pandemic and I, I know other women in, in those 
leadership roles found it really helpful to suddenly feel like you were part of things even if you weren't there all the time and I think that benefit has continued as someone who works part-time that if there's something that really needs to be done and it's my normal day off then I can probably manage it I can probably do something with an hour's childcare that allows me to still fulfill that role and that makes me feel so much more empowered um, and able to contribute in ways that I, I really felt limited by as a part-timer before um, so I, I think it's been really good but you know I have seen that flip side a bit of, of what Shelley and Sarah have said around people who've worked from home for a long time you know I was doing an interview with someone and I turned around and said it you all right after that to the person that was interviewing with me and she said yeah this is the first time I've ever interviewed in person and I I couldn't quite believe it but but of course that would be the way it is if you've started out your your career in the NHS in the last couple of years so um you know some really good and and some some sort of um more challenging changes that it's brought us but um now I do try to make a bit more use of that homeworking uh, when I feel that maybe being in the environment that we're in because it's so intense sometimes you feel really drained and actually you just need a day of quiet office work at a desk and and getting through some of those emails or other bits of documentation that you need to write whatever it is and on those days I try to make the most of you know if I'm not traveling then that's half an hour to do yoga before I start I try to make sure I get out and go for a walk on on my lunch break and I really try to work in the lightest room possible in the house and um, because normally I'm sat in an office without any windows or external doors and that has a, a, a you know significant impact for me and for some of my colleagues that work in those areas so um I think being able to identify opportunities of real added benefit from that hope those home working days is really important. Thank you Amy um I definitely I think like well COVID has definitely brought it just brings up so many discussion points doesn't it with kind of hybrid work and remote work and I think kind of from, from my own personal point of view um you know in my role it's predominantly admin based. I'm sat at a desk. Um, I started at Evolution in, in November um, and being new into recruitment, it's 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 very, I mean, it's, it's a daunting job anyway, to be quite honest. Um, but doing that remotely, especially when we started, because I think we were in the office and then um, I think there was another like mini lockdown. So we all had to go work remotely and I've never, never worked from home before. So, you know, it was all right doing that on the Friday, every Friday, every week, but like doing that predominantly whilst I was training, it was it was particularly daunting and I don't know whether for like I would say because because I'm female I think I, I started with two other two other girls on the team at the same time and I it was it was nice because I felt I feel like we we want more kind of companionship I think so you know when I was doing kind of admin tasks at home I would often jump on teams with colleagues you know just so I could sit there and somebody was in the background because otherwise it just felt it did feel really lonely um, and just kind of having somebody there was like kind of really reassuring, especially because there was two other people that had started at the same time as me. We were all in the same boat. We'd not all done um, remote working. So, um, yeah, from my own personal perspective, um, you know, it was it was quite daunting. Amy, anything you'd want to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the um, we've talked a bit about around kind of virtual coffee rooms sometimes, particularly to support people who maybe are at home and are, are kind of maybe 
quite lonely or feeling a bit left out of of that that companionship so I think that can be really useful to have those informal catch-ups even if you are literally having your lunch or having a coffee and you're just chatting away and because those are still useful in other ways to the team even if you're not necessarily producing tangible work from them but um, I think there's there's other things around teams that's really interesting around the question around energizing but also how you energize other people and bringing your energy to teams meetings because it's really easy now we're on them just to do loads of other work and not really listen and then suddenly get caught out when someone's asked you a question that you weren't really paying attention to the meeting and I've realized that for other people's sake on those meetings you need to be really present and bring the maximum energy to those meetings and if actually you don't think it's being a productive meeting or you're bored then maybe you need to challenge the topic or the way the meeting is being run because nobody should be wasting time in unproductive meetings in in you know this day and age. Thank you Amy. Shirley did you want to add something? Yeah I was going to say exactly that the team's meetings you have to work so much harder to read the room. I'm a program manager so the the various projects and programs that I'm trying to educate people about or get them on board with it can be quite difficult in a team's environment if you've never met them um, to to keep everybody interested so um, as I said I've been on site today and that's because I've got a new piece of work kicking off and I need to build relationships with those people in person and I just find that's you just cannot do that in the same way unfortunately I wish you could um, but no, it's not possible. So I'll, I'll put that timing up front and then we can switch to Teams and Teams will work really well for monitoring purposes. But every now and again, we need to hit the big button and go and see the people. Just like you said, going and seeing people and understanding what they're doing and giving them the confidence to say what they really think, which is a lot of people are very nervous um, on the screen situations. Lots of people still not sharing a video of themselves. They're just so I'm trying really hard to get my guys to contribute and I'm really pleased to say that today I had a gang who I had to ask them to quieten down a bit because they were contributing too much well not too much but you know it's better than having the dead silence which can be um, a signifier of a team's meeting can't it yeah absolutely I've, I've been there many a times <laughs> fab all right um oh Sarah did you want to I was just going to say from yeah. uh, from a um, you know practical point of view it's it's been quite a steep learning curve as as the introduction of teams um <laughs> and it has taken that the whole technical side of things has taken quite a bit of getting used to when it's been completely alien to you know my my area of work before but it's been really um beneficial in being able to incorporate that that was brought in for for homework and to actually be able to use that within patient services to you know increase the experience um, and improve the the experience of patients so that they don't have to come into hospital and we can we can do those sessions with them on teams yeah perfect thank you sarah anybody else want to add anything before we move on no good okay um on to question three then um so we're moving kind of now a bit more i think we've touched upon it already um but we're moving more into kind of the female leadership territory now so question three is leadership is often about dealing with problems as female leaders do you think we problem solve differently um so amy do you want to kick things off on on this one yeah, I, I, it was a really difficult question this night. I had a chat with some male and female colleagues about it. And I, I think what I've learned is when teams will put a question to me and I give them an answer, at least half of the time they say, that's not what I thought you were going to tell me. 
So what I've learned from that is that actually I do too much problem solving in isolation. And I think probably a lot of my female colleagues do because we want people to be happy. And if someone identifies what they feel to be a problem, we sweep right in there and say, let me fix that for you. Um, and we are potentially depriving to junior colleagues, at least, from the opportunity to learn problem solving skills uh, and, and participate in that. And, and I think often we present a solution, uh, feel really chuffed with ourselves, um, but, you know, haven't necessarily thought about, was it even a problem that needed to be solved? You know, actually, or does it need solving now? Was it the right use of my time today? Or actually, should there have been someone else involved in, in that problem solving that would have equally benefited from it in terms of their development? So I think for me, it's more about how how we sort of start the problem solving process rather than maybe how we run the diagnostic or, or find the solution that might be different when male colleagues might take a step back and say tell me more about this situation well, I hadn't appreciated that as a problem tell me why it's a problem I, th I think maybe they are, are less keen to jump straight in there um, but sometimes I think that it, it's a good thing and, and probably the thing we do as women because we we want because we want to to improve the working lives of the people around us the classic example for me is we had a, a doctor who said oh I've got a really terrible bad back at the moment can I have a different desk and yeah I could just order a desk but actually what I also did was went straight round and double checked how their desk was set up and you know could we do some easy quick stuff as well whilst the desk was arriving with their screens and risers and the chair and that didn't need to be me who did it and it didn't need to be right now, but it was really important to me that our clinicians feel that we care about them, that that individual felt that they mattered. Um, you know, and, and I think those that was important to me as well at the time, because when you work in a system where problems can sometimes feel insurmountable, making a, a difference at an individual level was deeply rewarding and, and motivating um, and helps helps be one of those things that keeps you turning up. So, uh I think being in tune with why are you doing this? What's your motivation for solving this problem? And 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 is it the right thing to do for me, for the team? And right now, the the, the questions for me around the female approach. Thank you, Amy. Um, Sarah, we'll come around to you next. I think I interpreted this question in a different way, and I actually found it quite challenging to answer because it it did make me feel a little bit uncomfortable from a generalisation perspective of a, the difference between men and women as leaders and that doesn't sit comfortably with me I see it more as traits that you know leaders have regardless of sex and in my experience having been led by both men and women um, I found that um, leaders in their problem solving if they're constrained by anything it's not their sex or gender it's the process and the constraints of the organization that they're working with and how they can approach that problem solving so that was sort of the way that I came into answering this question as opposed to you know female version. um so yeah I think if you know to go down the I mean you can go down the generalization route and yeah women do tend to be more holistic I, I guess in their approach in some cases although there are men that are holistic as well and maybe it, it you know it does go back to you know our old hunter-gatherer genetics from caveman times as to you know how we approach these things but my my personal experience is that um you know a good leader is regardless of their, their sex how they problem solve it's the problem that they they've gotten the way that they approach that to solve it. Thank you Sarah. 
and then Shirley ran to you? So I didn't expect those either of those answers. I think I think Sarah, um, what you said about it not being gender specific. Yeah, I was also worried about falling into the trap of saying, yes, men are like this, women are like the other, because it really isn't that straightforward. Um, and I think also there's a point about the kind of work that you do. So a lot of my work is technology implementation or technology change. And the kind of problems that come my way are ones that there isn't always or often even a very simple, yes, this is what we should do. Um, so I think because of the sector that I work in, I have to be really collaborative and I have to throw the question out to a number of different experts to start to canvas opinion of what the options might be. Um, so in that way, I enjoy doing that because I really like finding solutions um, to the problems that we're up against. Um, and I do care a lot that people's opinions and views are heard at whatever level they work because there's lots of expertise throughout the trust and throughout the technology sector um, and it certainly isn't to do with grades and bandings it's to do with what you've seen and what you've experienced before um, yeah I, I, I like to think that women would have been naturally a bit more communicative potentially but no it's it's not the case there's, you know, we all know the types of leaders who can be very directive. And actually, um, again, working with clinical teams, I'm quite envious that a lot of the clinical leaders are really good at being directive. And that makes me squirm a little inside sometimes because I find that quite hard. But it's obviously what you what you've been taught to do. Thank you, Shirley. Um, anybody got anything else they'd like to kind of add on that question before we move on? I think it's just for me that differently doesn't necessarily mean better or worse and what I've really benefited from in, in having a, a couple of um, senior male colleagues is is learning their approach to problem solving and, and having trying that on for size and I think I've really benefited from from some of their approaches um, so so yeah definitely there, there may be some generalizations in there but actually the the, the opportunity to recognise them and then embrace them, I think, then can be really useful for for, for us as, as female leaders to to try it out for size. Yeah, building up our own toolkit that what works yeah. for us. Yeah. And hopefully they'll take some of our skills and use them as well. <laughs> Fab. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, so moving on to question four then. Um, question four is, how do different female leaders identify themselves? Um, so Sarah, we'll come around to you first on, on this one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, OK, uh, so I guess well, leaders identify themselves differently from a whole range of, of things anyway, whether that's they, they identify themselves from their own title or their pay grade or role determines how they identify themselves as a leader or their responsibilities that they have, um, their time in post, or even if it's just their social and personal connection with others in the team that's made them that sort of leader within the pack, if you, if you like. Um, so these can be positive or negative identities. Um, and the, the way that um, they identify themselves, you know, it's maybe as an, an autocratic leader or a democratic leader. Obviously, if you've got an, an emergency in ED, somebody has got to take charge and, and pretty quickly and call the shots. And, you know, we're, we're under no illusion as to who that leader is when that happens. And that's absolutely the right thing to do. But I think for the majority of us in our normal day to day, that's that's not the approach that we take as leaders. We're, as we've said, really collaborative. Um, we try and be flexible. We try and nurture. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's identifying for me. It's identifying myself as um, somebody as part of a of a team um, that's just leading that vision through, as opposed to, you know, the mistake of thinking that I'm the manager as opposed to the to the leader. The two are different, and I think people sometimes confuse those terms as to to what they mean. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Shirley, what what do you think on this one? I found this one really, really hard because I've, um, I didn't really understand why female was in the question. How do I identify myself as a leader? I didn't really think uh, I had to be a female leader. I was just getting on with stuff. Um, and it's interesting to hear Sarah, I didn't, you know, list the different ways I could have identified myself. And I, at the beginning of the, the programme, I forgot to say what my job title actually is because I'm not used to having to remember that. And I certainly don't introduce myself with a banding, which is a very NHS specific thing. Um, I suppose in, the, in a project or a programme setting, I'm often chairing things or leading sessions, but it is about encouraging others to contribute. So I'm not really sure how I identify as a leader. I, I seem to get accepted as a leader, but I don't know what I'm doing in terms <laughs> of how, how I get that status. Um, I don't actually have any line management reports. Our structure is a bit random in the digital program manager matrix managers teams specifically for things that they're trying to deliver so i have lots and lots of working relationships with people where i'm leading them in a certain direction but it's it's not a direct management role um so yeah i found that question a bit tricky thank you shirley i think you did well <laughs> and then amy round to you next yeah i'm, I'm hoping maybe from from some of my thoughts on this that Sarah and Shirley might want to come back with some more ideas actually around it because I I was interested in this question because perhaps when I started in in my first leadership role I I identified myself as kind of a competent leader and the fact that I was a woman was irrelevant and more and more as I I've gone on in my career I feel that that is absolutely not the case so the fact that I'm a woman is is one of the most important things about what I do. It's in, important for the women I work with. And I, I feel that, it, you know, it, am I a female leader or am I a, a leader of women as well? You know, there are a lot of female colleagues who come to work and they, they, they're having a terrible day and they'll have express feelings of self-doubt or, you know, letting the team down because there's, you know, childcare issues or because, you know, they feel what they would consider to be unduly upset by a situation and perceived to be over emotional about it and actually I think all of those things are that they are the whole person we've talked about this holistic approach you know the the whole me is the person who's had a rubbish morning with a child screaming at them and turns up looking a bit ragged but also the the person who's then managed to solve all of those problems and still get here and still be energized and, and up for doing the day and I, I think that's that's really important that I've got all those skills from being a woman and being a mother and also then able to encourage all of the women I work with to say of course you can do this and do you think that the, the man who does your job in another area is worrying about all these things and you know whether they're inadequate because I I so I am and I hate to make generalizations but sometimes I doubt it I think we are terrible for this as women we are sometimes we're martyrs and we overwork ourselves and then expect everybody to be grateful and actually then get cross at them for it if they're not and um and and other times just are constantly our own worst enemy for for self-doubt and and you know feeling like we we don't work hard enough or we're not committed enough um because of the other things that we that we do and are 
Uh, so to me, it's become really important to to demonstrate to to colleagues that it's okay to be all of you when you're at work. Um, and to set an example, I suppose to to younger women and to you know to my daughter that you know that that's okay and and something to be celebrated and not something to pretend is is not a difference between us. You're absolutely right, Amy. Mm. Um, have you watched any Brene Brown? on the internet uh, a, no I haven't but maybe I should <laughs> she's a she's an American speaker um I think she's fabulous she talks a lot about bringing your whole self and your mm. authentic self to work we, we were never going to get through this without saying authentic at least a few times <laughs> um so yeah and I, I'm not actually a mother um I'm a, a stepmother which is quite a different task um and I think I've worked in a lot of environments where I've been the only woman in the room and I've also had some great female leaders to work with and both of those have been fabulous. Um, I, I'm not good at promoting myself and women really aren't and it doesn't take much to cast your eye around and think well that person's doing a similar job to me but they're really not doing great at it so I think I've done that for 25 years looking at men in similar roles who are doing things differently but I've carried on and I've enjoyed what I've done and I think I've got the confidence now just to be myself. 20 years ago I wouldn't have mm -hmm. gone into work without having done my hair a certain way and worn the right clothes because I was pretending to be this thing that I thought I had to be and today I'll, I go in as myself and I say to the, the guys I'm working with, guys and girls I'm working with, um, you don't have to know all the answers, it's a project, it's going to unfold as it unfolds and you can see a bit ahead but maybe not the whole way and that's fine you don't have to have all the answers at the beginning because if you're delivering a project of change it's because it's tricky it's not because it was something that a department could just do in five minutes on the side of their desk it's something that requires thought so giving them the confidence to say they don't know the answer whether they're male or female and I do have a lot of women that I work closely with and and I think it is really important to show them that you can be higher up if you like um, but still be unsure of what the best thing is to do um, I think that's really quite strong for them and I really want them to see that whatever doubts they have everybody has doubts all the way through but you can come in and do a great job and I'm trying to encourage the women and the junior members of the team to say more do more uh, and I think that's working I wholeheartedly agree with with what you've you've said there and you know, I think leadership for me is being able to facilitate um, a team or colleagues that I'm working with to to achieve a mutual vision at the end of it. Um, it's not so much how we manage to get there. It's it's that everybody's felt safe and supported and nurtured and valued and able to contribute. And, you know, if somebody's having a bad day, they they, they, they feel safe enough that they can step out for whatever they they need to do and and step back in etc and um I, I just think that's that's really important and i think i think we do do that really really well as female leaders but we don't give ourselves any credit for that that bag of tools and it's it's vital in um the day-to-day -day delivery of, of achieving those visions that we've we've all got to to achieve. Thank you, Sarah. Has anybody got any kind of additional points they'd like to add to that before we move on to the last question? Maybe just one thing on mentoring. Um, if you can get hold of a, a good female mentor to complement your arsenal of other people that you get good advice from, I think that's really invaluable. I've had some fantastic ones in the past and I'm 
hoping that there's another lady that will be one for me going forward. Um, so yeah, I think that's super. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. Okay, on to the final question then. Um, so question number five is, does anyone else feel a responsibility as a female leader to hold themselves to a higher standard because they represent female leadership? Um, so Shirley, we'll come round to you first on this one. Um, not specifically. Um, I think the way I was raised was I have to do your best all the time. So that's pretty much what I'm trying to do. Um, stop. Sorry. Just trying <laughs> to do my best. <laughs> Thank you, Shirley. Uh, Amy, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I feel extremely conscious as I I interact with uh, people across my organisation or outside of the organisation that that maybe if I behave in a way that um, isn't maybe up up to to standard or is is unexpected that perhaps that would be deemed as a judgment on women in leadership roles so I think I I do carry that baggage maybe maybe incorrectly and um, because actually what Shirley says is exactly right you should just behave your, your best and do your best all the time but I think very much of the um you know the, the women who who didn't have such a an easy time of of getting into work or being accepted into the workplace and I and I think of future generations of women coming into the workplace when I when I conduct myself on an occasion um I might cringe at something someone has said and worry about the impact on other women in in our organization or in leadership roles and perhaps that's unfair to to think that they represent all women and um, but but often that's my kind of go-to to thought and and worry um but at the same time i i often will be having a bad day and be frustrated with with maybe the way someone's behaving and then i remind myself how lucky i am to be in the arena i'm in and and the role i'm in and have the opportunity to you know be be sort of sparring it out with people in this way because people didn't used to have it so i i think it's because of my perspective on that and and the fact that i feel i really have an opportunity that i'm so grateful for that i i worry about sort of protecting that that image of women in the workplace thanks amy and then sarah around to you for your thoughts um uh, like Shirley I don't necessarily feel a responsibility from from being a female leader but I do feel a huge responsibility to maintain and hold high standards as a leader um, that align to my role um, and I, I don't know if this is this is due to the fact that the workforce and leaders that I've predominantly been around and have had experience with have been female leaders so I've not had that male competition or slant however you want to uh to, to look at it you know um within sort of my immediate workforce although obviously i have worked with a, with a lot of men in in different position not in different positions of of um, leadership and management um but i do feel really strongly at being a strong female role model with it as a leader um and as you were saying amy not just within the workplace but how that's seen outside of work and how you know my daughter and son um particularly have perceive my work obviously they don't know the extent of what i do or don't do but um they see me as a working woman you know achieving and um with a career and a profession and the, the, the things that go along with that and I, th I think that's really really important um whether we're role models to models to men or or women it's in the workplace or outside I think that's the thing that I hide myself 
hold myself highest to account for. Thank you, Sarah. Anybody got any kind of final thoughts? It is interesting sometimes the assumptions people make about you. Um, I met a colleague, well, a past, past ancient colleague on the platform in London King's Cross when I was going for a meeting and he asked what I was doing and I explained the meeting I was going for and he said, wow, you can really blag it, can't you? And I just thought, well, thanks very much. Actually, <laughs> it's you can get some issues that you need to just prove that you're better than. Yeah, hey, just we? reminded of that listening. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, similarly, I, I feel like every time I, I tell somebody I work in, in the NHS, um, you know, and I don't tend to go into detail because my title's long and a bit boring and no one knows what it means, but the automatic question is always, oh, are you a nurse? And there's nothing wrong with being a nurse. The irony is my husband is the nurse in our household. Um, <laughs> and it just frustrates me that there's always that automatic assumption of of, of a gender and a role, um, yeah. which yeah. is is disrespectful I think to the men who do those those caring and nursing roles as as much as it is disrespectful to to women in in leadership roles and it it frustrates me endlessly um but I think I think is society is slowly catching up and and it, it's probably more a symptom of the fact that we we all make assumptions and generalizations a bit like what Sarah was saying rather than than that people are intrinsically um negative about women in the workplace mm. um it's certainly well, changing yeah okay well i think that i think that rounds up kind of the the questions and the discussion um first of all i just want to say a massive thank you everyone for giving up your time this evening to get involved i really do appreciate it um i hope i hope you've all enjoyed it um it's definitely been an interesting topic not one that i wanted to be you know was coming on you know feminists men are this men are bad women are so good like i didn't want it to be like that but i just want to say thank you as well for just you know, all being honest as well and, and sharing your own experiences. Um, it's been it's been really valuable and I hope the um, the future listeners think that too. So just massive thank you. Thank you.